Welcome to our first edition of Children of Song. This is a podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded with music. We're going to be talking to basically children of famous, famous musicians and find out what it was like to grow up in that kind of atmosphere, to be inspired by the people that came backstage, who visited their homes on weekends, and what prompted them to follow in their legacies and enter into this world of music. I'm Brad Newman, the producer of this journey. We're in Nashville. We're, we're calling this uh, our Nashville Sessions. We're right near Belmont College. We're driving through this neighborhood. I'm with my, my audio tech, Jamie Pfeffer. Hey, Jamie. I am not driving by myself. I cannot speak and drive at the same time, it appears. No, we are heading over to Robert Orman's house. When we came up with this project, I was looking for the perfect host. And I had done a project in Nashville a couple years ago uh, for Black History Month. And we had done this interesting retrospective on the great Sammy Davis Jr. And I was working with a, a local photographer. His name is Chris Condor, who is just a wealth of information when it comes to these parts. And he said, you cannot do this feature without Robert Orman. Well, we are off to see Robert Orman this morning, and Robert is a most interesting character. I remember very clearly that day, uh, we had had a very long shoot in the morning. We were down in Franklin, Tennessee, and making our way back to Nashville, and for those of you who don't know it, there is a ton of traffic in this area. This is a booming city. And we had gotten up to Robert's house in the late afternoon. I think we were all a little, little tired. And Robert woke us up with his stories. He is a magnificent storyteller. And I said to myself, when I walked out of that house, there's going to be another project someday. Someday there's going to be a project where this gentleman and I sit down and get together and really start telling stories. And that project is this, Children of Song. Now we are early, so I hope that'll be okay for him. Robert, Robert is a very interesting guy. He scares me just a little bit, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. You know, actually, he's so passionate about music. When Anytime I've talked to him on the phone, even leading up to this project, um, he always has a ton of stories to say. He's, he writes two different columns uh, a week and he's written seven books and he was in this huge project. I think this is his house right here on the right, if I'm not mistaken. And he said he had to write 30 essays in over a four-day stretch and he'd asked me not to bother him. <laughs> I said, okay. I'll see you when I get down there. All right, let's say hello. It's beautiful out here today. First thing I noticed when I was down here, the birds are singing here. They're not, they're not singing up north. Uh-oh. Attack dog. Hi, Robert. How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. Toto, get back inside. That's right, it's Toto. I remember. Toto. In, in, in. Now. Come on. She's sweet. Are you on? We are on a little bit. Here's the first thing you need to know. Okay. It's Music City. 
We're surrounded by music, okay? Across the street is Lyle Lovett's bass player. Next door is Robert Plant's band leader. Two doors down is the manager of Blackbird Studios, which is John McBride's studio, the husband of Martina McBride, the best studio in town. And behind us is Nancy Griffith, who first popularized From a Distance, which Bette Midler later made into a big pop hit. And I could throw a rock from this porch and form a band. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go inside. Hey, Toto. Well, thank you so much for having us in. I hope uh, we're not too early, or did you see us out there? We were. I saw you out there. <laughs> you know what I thought was most interesting? I was I was sitting here going through, and my instinct, you know, of course. My instinct, I think, when I first got this project, why you were so perfect, and I was sitting here trying to go over my head, you know, was it just that interview we did about Sammy Davis? And, you know, it, it dawned on me that you are really a, a child of song as well because of your grandmother. I am. I grew up in the music business, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I became an elector to the Country Music Hall of Fame right away and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because you have, have, have to have had 25 years in the business. But I had 25 years in the business when I was 25. I mean, because my grandmother had a record shop and a jukebox chain, and I had grown up clerking in the record store. And she paid me in records from the jukebox chain, which I still have. And so I've been in, in the retail business pretty much all my life. I, I was the manager of a record store in St. Louis for a number of years. and So I came at it from the music end of it. My mother was a singer. I was a singer. You know, church. <laughs> what was it about music at an early age? Was it an escape for you? What was What was excited you about it? I was a loner. I was a kid who sat in his room and listened to 45 records on the record player and studied them, looked at them, who wrote the songs, who produced the records. You know, I was just always obsessed with records. For me, it's never been about concerts or stadiums or big things. It's, a, it's about being alone with music and listening to records. That was my whole childhood. Our journey starts with Lori Morgan and her son, Jesse Keith Whitley. Um, you knew uh, Keith Whitley personally. Right. Why are they such an interesting pairing to start the journey? I was at Lori Morgan and Keith Whitley's wedding. Um, and I've known Lori forever. And I knew Keith when he first came to town when he was married to his first wife. And we used to have them over here for spaghetti dinners. And I was such a fan. I thought he was a great, great singer. And a, as it turned out, a great writer, too. I didn't know it at the time. But uh, there were a, little, a small group of us here in Nashville who, who knew him before he got a record deal. And all we could talk, we would go up and down Music Road. Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard him? Have you heard him? You know, trying to get something going for this kid because he was so talented. And so uh, when he died, it was devastating to all of us and certainly to Lori. Um, and to now with Jesse coming up, coming of age and becoming a musician, it's a, it's a fascinating full circle story. All right. Well, let's get our stuff and head on out. We're here at Lori Morgan's. Hey, girl. Hey, Robert. I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> Likewise. It's been ages. I know. So. But every time I see you, it's always like... Uh-oh, what's coming? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so pleased that this first episode of what we're calling our Nashville Sessions, that we're spending time with 
somebody I one of my favorite favorite singers of all time. Who's that? Lori Morgan. Oh, that's me. And she <laughs> she's performed at the Opry since she's 13 years old. She's still a Grand Ole Opry member today. She's had hits like Five Minutes, A Picture of Me Without You, Something in Red. I mean, there's like 20 top 10 hits. They're huge. She's a gold and platinum seller. And she's the daughter of a legend, a Country Music Hall of Fame member, George Morgan. And uh, that's a real interesting story that we'll get to. And he died way too young. Way when, too young. When you were just a kid. And her son is with us, Jesse Keith Whitley, who is the son of another famous singer. That's Keith right. Whit- Keith that's Whitley right. and Lori Morgan, who is another one of my favorites of all time. And thank you so much for joining me. And my producer, Brad Newman, who's here. My pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So, well, let's start with George Morgan. I mean, he was had candy kisses and all those great hits. What was he like as a dad? Oh, as a dad, he's somebody that when I think of, um, I want to cry because I, I don't think there's ever been a better father um, to walk this earth. I mean, he, he just was amazing. He was funny. He was like... He was funny. Oh, he was hilarious. He had... The best sense of humor. And, and every time I talk to people at the Opry, they're always like, oh, my gosh, your dad was the greatest. Um, he had the best sense of humor and the ugly list that he had at the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> pulled, the, pulled the gags on people all the time. All the time. He would walk out and, and goose them on stage with drumsticks and just <laughs> cr- cr- unplug their guitar. And just he was, he was just wanted to have fun. He was a practical joker. He, and he used to torment Hank Williams. Yes, he did, and Hank <laughs> tormented my dad. Uh, Hank Williams got arrested in uh, Texas. Uh, I think they found him sleeping in his car uh, somewhere, and he was really, really drunk. And they pulled him out of the car, and they handcuffed him, took him down to this little county jail, little bitty jail in, in Texas, and they asked him what his name was, and he said, George Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, Dad... Dad had to think of something good to get him back. I don't know what it was, but my dad was just, um, you always wanted to be around my dad. It was like, there's always going to be something fun to cook or something, you know, music, fun. Just It was just fun. He was the glue in our family. Was he encouraging to you about doing music? He was very encouraging to me, but he was not pushy. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't ever say, this is what I want you to do, um, he would say, whatever you want to do, um, I'm behind you. Um, but when I decided that, that music was something I wanted to do, he was for sure the one who would say, um, don't you ever say, I can't, until you try it. If a producer asks you to sing a song in A and you know in your mind you probably can't do it, you try it. Mm. You always say, don't ever say, I can't. And, and he also, also told me this, too, that lives with me every time before I go on stage. He used to say, don't ever get too cocky before you walk out there on that stage because you never know what can happen. Mm. Always be prepared that something could happen because... An artist will be able to handle it, he said. But if you're not prepared, if you think, oh, I'm invincible and I'm the greatest and nothing can go wrong, and all of a sudden, like me, I fall over a monitor on stage and show my 
derriere to the new record label. Which you have done. I have done, yes. <laughs> so I remember those I, words. I remember that. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Well, who could forget? <laughs> <laughs> I can never forget it, ever. He brought you on the Opry when you were just, was it 13? Mm-hmm, 13. And, you, and uh, what, you sang... Uh, Paper roses. I sang it? paper roses, uh-huh. and um, were you good? You know what? No, I, I was not. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I I sounded, and I have the the tape somewhere in the archives, but I sounded like a little little chipmunk singing. I mean, of course, I was just a, a child, and nowadays when people younger the young, younger generation they have these big loud voices, and they're very trained, mm-hmm. and and I was not. At all. I mean, and my matter of fact, you know, I would sit around at the piano and sing to my dad and mom after dinner at night, and I learned the song First Time I Ever Saw Your Face mm-hmm. uh, by R- Roberta Flack. And my dad said, I want you to sing that on the Opry. And I'm like, Dad, I'm 13. I don't, I don't think that's a good song to sing. He said, okay, then pick something else out, but I want you to sing next week on the Opry. And I... At that point, had a stomach ache for about a week, mm-hmm. and uh, finally, the the big hit Marie Osmond had was Paper Roses, and I, I practiced Paper Roses and um, decided not to do the Roberta Flack song, and um, and you know it was weird because I was so nervous, and and still to this day when I go to the Opry, I get a little bit of a stomach twinge, like. What if I mess up, or what if I fall, or I always mm-hmm. have these doubts that what if they don't like me, you mm-hmm. know? And it makes me really nervous. And it's good to have butterflies, it, it, as yeah. as long as they fly in formation. <laughs> well, isn't it also a, a sort of reverence you have and hold for that place and what it means and what it meant for your daddy and yeah, and I you know I didn't want to let my dad down because he was so proud and so excited about me singing that night. My mom was so nervous she couldn't come. Really? She had to listen on the radio. She she told my dad, she said, I'll be listening from the restroom, okay? Just mm-hmm. let me just <laughs> let me listen from home. And here she is right over there. Uh, yep, she's that's got a picture of her right in the beautiful living room. Beautiful mama. And How's she uh, doing? she's beautiful. Yeah. She's eighty five and still rocking. Uh oh yeah. Hilarious. Still <laughs> Woo. Jesse, do you know Candy Kisses? I don't. She does. I know. You used to sing it in your shows. Do you still mm-hmm. do it? Yeah. I still do it. Do it. It's, it's George Morgan's biggest hit. And I, you know, give you the little flavor of what it sounds like. Just uh, Right now? Yeah. I don't, I don't need the pick. So. Oh, fine. I see how it is. Candy Kisses Wrapped in paper Mean more to than any of mine Candy kisses Wrapped in paper You'd rather have them Any old times Candy kisses Wrapped in paper Mean more to you Than mine do That's the song. Love that song. It's a it's a classic. It really is. Well, you know, and I and I, I bet it never gets old. And Dad told me that night at the opera. He said, 
Now, as soon as I finish Candy Kisses, I'm going to look over at you. And if you feel like you can go on and sing, I want you to give me a nod. Yes, you know, I'm, I can come out or you say no. I don't, I don't feel comfortable. So it was over and he was talking and that song ended and I'm standing there and he looked at me and I just went. You <laughs> <laughs> went right so in between. I was like, shrug my shoulders. I don't know what to feel. And so uh, long story short. He introduced me, and therefore, I've been there for 32 years as a member. Did you feel any kind of pressure being in his shadow, or was it a blessing to be? Both. Mm -hmm. um, both. Being in Dad's shadow, um, well, it, it was big shoes to fill because everybody loved Dad. Whether, whether he was the biggest star on the stage at the time, it didn't matter. You wanted to be around him. And he was so just fun to be around. And um, everybody loved him in the music industry. And so that was one one reason why when I knocked on the doors on Music Row, mm -hmm. people would let me in because they loved Dad. It wasn't because I was the most talented person they'd ever heard. It was like, well, let's see what George's daughter wants. You right. know, we love George. Let's mm -hmm. bring her in. Bless her heart. Kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> But that's how kind of I got to make my own friends with dad's friends. You know, people like I'd sit down on at Cedarwood Publishing Company till mm -hmm. wee hours of the morning with Webb Pierce and, and Joe Johnson and folks like that and sing songs. And, you know, we don't have that in the music industry anymore. You mm -hmm. don't you don't get to jam with great writers and singers. And, you know, it was just a different time. So. Um, but dad, you know, that was a definite plus him being who he was, um, opening doors for me. Uh, you know, unfortunately it took me a lot longer to get a record deal because new people would come to town like Kathy Matea, uh, different mm -hmm. female, Patty Luck, pe people like that would come to town and they were fresh new faces. And I was just and like, you know, all along. dirt, you know, oh, here, you know, oh, so, her again. yeah, oh, her again, the one that's on Ralph Emery. Five days a week, you know. Um, was it a pressure for you, Jesse? I mean, it has to have been living in the shadow, not of one, but two really great artists. Is it in your, you know, raising your hand up and going, hey, what about me? <laughs> Every day. Uh <-huh. laughs> no. It's, um, I think it's, I, I think they just kind of hold people like us kind of to a little bit of a higher standard, you know, and when... I think when they feel that they that person has reached their you know their highest potential that you know that is their time. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a pressure. Yeah. Of course, it has yeah, to absolutely. Be. It's like she said, you know, those are big shoes to fill. Nobody, will, I don't think anybody will fill either one of their shoes. Yeah. Tell me about losing your dad at such a young age. That was not. That was not. A, he was only two. <laughs> yeah. Well, he remembers Keith. You do mm -hmm. really. I see, a few I little things anything. here and there, uh -huh. yes, sir. Yeah. Well, you were only two when he died. That's that's kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. that's what cool. What is your first memory? What do you remember? Uh, the drum thing, the little drummer boy drum thing. I remember <laughs> that. Uh, he had a drum he used to beat on, and Keith used to try and get him to do tempo, and he would sit on and the I had these little it. green sticks. I remember it. And yep. It had a green rope that tied around your neck, and yeah, I, re I remember that. Just he, little things. Yeah, know, but, like, yeah, but you also told me you remember Daddy giving you oatmeal. Every morning when Keith was home, he yeah. would feed Jesse. Yeah. But oh, you wow. remember feelings. 
you know, my parents divorced, and I remember the feelings that I had with my father. I didn't see him a lot yeah. when I was younger, but you remember, like, I remember some green baseball bat, yeah. you know, a big wiffle ball bat, but yeah. I remember that feeling of his visit, mm-hmm. and so that's that's what's nice, mm-hmm. that you yeah. at least have that feeling, because you know what that drum... That's and, a- that's a good way to look at that. I've never thought about it like that. Well, you know, in the first time Jesse played with me on the Opry, he played drums. Yep. He played drums on Dear Me. All right. On the yep. Opry. <laughs> yep. And he wasn't scared at all until he got finished. His, na- his knees were just a knocking. <laughs> but he, you know what? He also, I don't know if he remembers it all the time, but I know he, he did it one time. He said, did I ever get on the bike with Dad, Daddy? And Keith had a Harley. Keith had a Harley, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he took him... As a baby in the front without a helmet. Oh, smart. Around the block <laughs> on his Harley. And boy, I was mad. I can remember being so mad, but Jesse was just as proud as he could be. It runs there in my blood. That. I've had yeah. mine too. I've had a few. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so being orphaned, you know, by your dad, was that a, a really tough transition? Traumatic. Mm-hmm. I mean, your mom is a rock, but still. Uh, very, uh, I, I, I've often described it, um, as a hole in your stomach that just never gets filled. It's just always empty. You just get used to it being there. Mm-hmm. It, if you concentrate on it, you'll notice how empty it is, but it's, it's this, this hole that's always there and you can never replace you know, him and his presence and his dad had this certain cough that he had, just like a clear in his throat kind of cough. And we'd be in school and morning mass, you know, and you, you could, I could tell when dad would come to mass, you'd just hear a little cough in the back of the. Well, it runs the, in the family for sure. <laughs> we did it with you too. <laughs> they always knew I was there, but yeah, it was so traumatic that a lot of us in the family, not just me, my sisters, my brother, but uh, his brother-in-laws, his sister-in-laws. I mean, we get together, and that's all we all talk about is, is dad's stories. Uh-huh. He's just ever so present in everything we do, whether it's, um, you know, family reunions or just getting together. I mean, it's just uh, he's ever so present everywhere. You did not break out of the gate into stardom by any means. I mean, you had a long climb up. Lots of failed singles, lots of tours, lots of TV. And I remember the time when you were out opening for George Jones that you almost wanted to drop out of the business. I did drop out of the business. Tell me about that. I did. Because George was such a horrible example? Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, he was. Uh, I loved George. And and let me say, just for the uh, record, record, that George was always nice to me. George was never anything but great to me. He loved my dad. He respected my dad. And he he was just always a good man to me. Now, I've seen him treat other people absolutely terrible. And then I was thinking, am I going to be next? You know, that right. kind of thing. But um, I was on the road with George, and it was in... in Back when he was in his no-show Jones days. He was a mess when you were on the oh. road with him. He was a total mess. I remember. I went to one of those shows even. A mess in what way? He was drinking and drugging and everything. He was rock starring it. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, uh, he was terrible. I mean, 
we would prepare to leave on the road and we'd get a call y'all just keep your bags packed we don't know if we're gone we can't find the possum you know and then we'd turn on the news and he'd be arrested on the side of the interstate mad mm -hmm. i mean he was mad he he would he would he would hit the cameraman and and they, he was just terrible. What demons was he fighting? Where, where, where was that coming from? Well, I, you know, I think that's the million-dollar question, what demons was, was George fighting. But he had a couple demons that lived with him all the time. It was the duck and the old man. Well, and, and he talked you, in their voices, yeah. And, and um, one night I was on the bus by myself with George. The band had gone on, and they were supposed to do a few songs, and then they bring me on, and then they bring George on. So I'm sitting up in the front lounge in the front of the bus like this, and I look to the back, and there was a vent back in the stateroom door, and you could see George's feet, and he would cross them, and he'd uncross them, and he'd cross them back, and he'd get up, and, and then I heard him arguing with the duck. It was a, he talked in this Donald Duck voice. It was, it's, it was schizophrenia. Yeah, he was very, it was very serious. Mm -hmm. And then he would be the old man, the old lady, mm -hmm. they both sounded kind of the same. And he was just absolutely out <clears throat> of his mind. And that night he came on stage. He got in my closet on the bus and got my light blue frilly poncho. I don't know this part of the story. It's hilarious. <laughs> you know those light blue lizard boots he had? Uh -huh. They were beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, nudie boots mm -hmm. or something. Well, they matched that poncho perfectly. And so he was on the bus going, going through all this stuff, you know. And we were all on stage, and George walks out in my poncho with white flowers and lace and stuff. And the band just about dropped their teeth. And he came, came out, and he's saying, I'm ragged, but I'm right. And that hair was flying all over. And then he said, good night, everybody. And we hit the deck because people started throwing bottles I mean, they had to escort us out because George, George was just, I mean, so yeah, that. I appreciate Lori was not a star at this point. No. She was just the chick singer on I the show. I was like 20, mm -hmm. 21 years old, and this was not how my dad did it. So this was all new to me. My, I never saw my dad take a drink. I, I'm lying. Him and my mom would spin a, sp, uh, split a Heineken during the World Series. So, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> Party. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I never was used to any of that. And so when I got home, um, actually, uh, it was Biloxi, Mississippi was my last night with George. I flew home uh, the next day. Actually, that night. When you could just walk in an airport, buy a mm -hmm. ticket, and get on the plane. Right. And I left. And I went home, and I never looked back. And I said, I, I can't do this business. I, I mean, I was so upset that. My uh, esophagus was closed. I couldn't eat food. Um, I could just, like, chew food and get juice, mm -hmm. and I'd have to, you know, get rid of my meat and whatever was... I mean, I, I lost, like, probably 15 pounds. <clears throat> well, you, it, it, you know, if you look at George at that time and say, is that what this business does to That's you? That's what I said. Yeah. I said, if this is what it does to me, and you, I don't want this. I don't, I don't want to be a part of this. I had a little girl already at home, my daughter Morgan, and I said, you know, when does it change? When am I going to wake up and go, oh, this is what I want to be, you know, I want to, I want to live this life, and I was afraid of it, 
So I got totally out. I lived with my mom, my daughter for a while. And Ralph Emery called me and said, hey, we want you back on the morning show after about a year. And I contemplated it, you know, and I'm like, I don't know, Ralph. He said, oh, you know, Lori, if you, if you continue to not sing, you're never going to sing. So I started doing the Ralph Emery show mm -hmm. three, three mornings a week. How, uh, how uh, ironic that Keith Whitley also had a, a terrible demon mm -hmm. and uh, that you had seen that once and now you saw it again. Was that a, a terrifying or... I know you tried your best to help him. Yeah, Keith's demons were more hidden than George. Yes, Keith Whitley was not a social drinker. Keith Whitley drank alone. Alone. I never saw him mm -mm. drinking. No. Which is which is odd, and not to interrupt, but the no, idea is that I, I had never heard of that before. That yeah, we're trying uh, to someone, this to him. someone yeah. would have dinner with you and maybe have nurse a beer and maybe not even finish it. But God forbid he goes to the bathroom in the middle and has a flask with him. He may empty the, the entire contents. And come back a total different dude. Right. Exactly. How yeah. strange was that? It was very strange. I, I, I felt like a keeper uh, of Keith. Um, and I, I loved him so much that I... Because when he drank and he got off on... We never fought. We never had. No, he was he was actually funny a lot of the time. Yeah, mm -hmm. good fun, fun to be around. Mm -hmm. But I mean, not for me because I knew you knew things that nobody else knew. Yeah, you know. Uh, but I can remember um, Keith getting. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Keith went to Hazelden. Joe Galani sent him to Hazelden to rehab, and um, he was there for. What, like six weeks? Yeah, it was a long while. time. Mm -hmm. And um, he would call once a week and blah, 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 and tell me he was the leader of his, you know, little groups and stuff, and he was feeling good. And so the day came when we were supposed to go pick him up from the airport, and we called Joe Galani, the head of RCA, to go with us, me and Jack McFadden, who was his manager. Mm -hmm. And we called um, Joe to go with us, and he couldn't make it. Joe had something really, really important he was doing, and... So we're standing there, at, I think it was Eastern Airlines, and we're standing at the gate, and Keith gets off the plane drunk from Hazelden. And I looked at Jack, and Jack looked at me, and we both just started crying. Mm -hmm. And Keith was like, hi, y'all doing? And we got home, and I opened his bag, and he had all those little airline bottles in his in his bag, and I said, Keith, what are these? He said, ha, those guys, they're always playing tricks, and I'm like, yeah, right. whatever. <laughs> so that night, I had to, Keith took an abuse just so he wouldn't drink. Mm -hmm. Which, which, what, what does that do to you? Does it make you throw up if you? Yeah, yeah and it, it makes you violently it sick. It makes you very it's, sick. It's like Real an sick. embalming yeah. mm -hmm. stuff in it. Uh, you don't ever, I mean, when he was on it and regular, he would check with the airline, like we would fly, and he'd say, now, does this dessert have any kind of liqueur in it or whatever? And they'd say, yes, and he'd say, I can't eat it, because it would really affect his abuse. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that I had to wait 24 hours, and then when we went to bed, I emptied all of his stuff, and I gave him an abuse, and I tied my uh, robe belt to my leg 
and to Keith's leg so I could feel him in the night if he moved. He tried to get up and, and drink. Mm -hmm. And he was pulling one time during the night, and he said, can't I just go to the bathroom by myself? I said, nope, I'm going with you. <laughs> and, and it was just the way it was. And, you know, it just, he was dealing with things that I know some of the things he was dealing with in his mind. I would never write about them. I would never talk about them because to Keith they were sacred and they were his demons. Uh, I don't know all of them. But you have to appreciate we're talking about one of the greatest country singers ever. I mean, he on top of all of this issues, he could deliver. I he, mean, he could sing like a bird. And sing anything. And write. Sing, write, loved, you know, loved Leonard Skinner, loved Hank Williams, loved uh, Mel Street, George, uh, George Jones. I would he sing to you in the house? Were you around that? Oh, brilliant? yes. And, oh, yes. And would you hear some of these songs yeah. for the first time? He would sing to me all the time. Give you goosebumps? He'd say, sit down, let me sing you what me and Don Cook wrote today. Or, yeah. You know? Uh, you know what I love? There's a new kid in town. Jesse sing. Jesse oh. just recorded new new kid in town. Oh, can you do it, Jesse? A little bit. I think I can do a little this, bit. Of Keith you Whitley. What Keith key it was? Keith Whitley co-wrote this with Don Cook and Putnam, Curly Putman. Curly Putnam. Are you sure? It's indeed. Don't get it too low for you. Mm. Mom. We're looking for a king. The new Messiah We're following the stars Shining brighter Uh-oh <laughs> um. Oh man, won't you help us if you can he shook his hand, but he pointed his hand. There's a new kid in town, and he's lying in a manger down the road. There's a new kid in town, but he's just another baby, I suppose. Heaven knows There's a new kid in town Here in Bethlehem Heaven knows There's a new kid in town Here in Bethlehem Love that song. Beautiful. And Keith was very religious too. He he loved that kind of stuff, <laughs> Robert. You make me sad. I know. You make me cry. <laughs> me too. I'm starting to tear up myself. Jesse, what, what, do you worry about inheriting the bad part of Keith as well as the good part? Uh, you do sound uh, like him. No, not really. Mm -hmm. I I kind of had that <laughs> battle once or twice, but um, no. I, uh, I have a little bit of fun, but that's about it. You know, I, <laughs> now, I in the wake of Keith's death, <laughs> your career had not taken off yet. You, it, you was just starting, mm -hmm. and now it became a necessity. 
right? I mean, it had, I had you to You had to it. make it, you had to. Because now Keith wasn't there and you had, at this point- Two children. Two children to support and no hits. Right, well, I was on the verge of my first one. On the verge of your first hit, yeah. On the verge so. of my first hit and, uh, you know, people uh, didn't, people had their own views of how long I should be in mourning. Mm -hmm. um, you didn't have the luxury to be in mourning. I didn't, I didn't. I had to get out and work and, uh, you know, did I, did I want to? No, I wanted to lay in bed and, and be in a ball, you know, for ever. But the kids were there, and, you know, they had school and baseball practices and, you know, basketball games and things like that. And I, I had to have and find the strength to go on and, and get on that bus and leave. Does it ever strike you that now you have more hits than your dad ever did? No. You have. You've I had do. You've had more top ten hits than George Morgan. Wow. So. Bless his heart. And you know what's weird? My mom said the other night, I was, we were talking, and I said, Mom, can you believe I've been a member, a member of the Opry for 32 years? She said, that's longer than your dad. He was 28 years. I said, oh, my God. Wow. You know, and when I think of how young he was. Well, and you were, too. When he passed oh, when away, he passed, though. Yeah. Uh -huh. 51 or 52 years old, and I've, you know, surpassed that, and I'm thinking... He never had, you know, and Dad never had a bus. He no, always, not back then. He mm -hmm. traveled in, in a car. You know, a lot of his friends had buses and stuff, but not Dad. And I kept thinking, man, he would love to be out here with me in his little silk pajamas on my bus, you know, <laughs> eating, smoking his camel cigarettes, you know. <laughs> so some of that tragedy really was gave you the kick in the pants to try to find your own voice, to really elevate your game, so to speak. When you say, is that is that where you found your voice? Well, she could always sing. She was always... Oh. She just didn't have this. She just didn't have the hit song. I didn't have the hit song, and I didn't have this, the belief in the business. The the business looked at me as, oh, okay, Lori's going to sing. They didn't really believe that I could really do this, really sing. Can you sing a song that that was a turning point for people? That that was. I the wish I had my uh, capo because. Oh, she brought the Goldie. Let's see. You borrowed my favorite dress I borrowed your best perfume And we're looking good, I guess We've turned every head in the room But the best thing I've ever seen Is looking at you and girl, I'd give anything to be in your shoes. Cause I'd love to be out of your shoes tonight. To be the one turning him on when he turns out the light. Under your skin, lying with him, when he holds you tight. I'd love to be out of your shoes tonight. 
That's one of the good ones, isn't it? <laughs> and Jesse works for me on the road. He does my monitor because, as I told you, I'm getting old and I'm getting stupid. And I can't remember my words anymore. So he had, he had the phone there going through him so I wouldn't forget my words. Senility strikes. <laughs> but you know, That's right. But, you know, Jesse, uh, Jesse's been working with me for a couple years and doing merchandise. and, and uh, um, I've been running prompter for a lot longer than a couple years. So, Jesse, is it? You're in the shadow of two legends. You know, does that make it tougher for you to get people to pay attention or, or respect you? Um, I think people expect to hear Keith Whitley mm -hmm. is what, you know, they expect. And that's, that's not going to happen. I mean, um, we do it in our live shows. We do a lot of dad stuff. You know, we do when you say nothing at all, I'm over you. Don't close your eyes. You know, there's a couple that we'll pull out, you know, and do. But, you know, I got, I, I kind of decided early on that I, you know, I had to kind of make my own way and mm -hmm. do my own style. And my style is completely different. Not completely different, yeah, but it's pretty much. It's uh, singing a slightly lower register for one thing, I think. You know what? That's not the first time I've heard that. Mm -hmm. I, I uh, but I also can get up there pretty good too and mm -hmm. we, we do a we're a lot more southern rock country so that's what your band is like mm -hmm. yeah we're 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 pretty pretty rocking mm -hmm. but when you sing those songs like don't close your eyes i listen to that in in you know i it just had resonance for me because some of the words and you're talking about this this man that you miss and it's it's weird because you must i wonder if you ever channel your father a little bit within that, but also miss him. Oh yeah, that. I mean it's it's a lot of stuff going on in that song. When I did my Grand Ole Opry debut this year, it was it was pretty crazy. We uh, what, what the date was? What was the? I can't remember the date. Well, it, it was I'd played the uh, country classic show on um, the Ryman a few years ago, and uh, just came out and did one song. And um, it was on May 9th, which was the day my dad passed away. So that was that was a pretty cool thing. Then I did my Opry debut this year, and uh, it was. I think it was last year. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah 2016. And uh, I'm still in 2016. <laughs> and uh, I think we all are. <laughs> well, we get there, and I, I was already I was kind of nervous, and and you know like. For me, the Ryman is obviously the mother church, but mm -hmm. I grew up backstage at the the Grand Ole Opry house. So yeah. when I got to play the Grand Ole Opry, I was freaking out a little bit. And I uh, had my own dressing room and everything. <laughs> I was right next to mom and I, you know, I was so we uh go on, mom goes on and mom was going to bring me on in her segment. And she gets done with her song, and it's storming really, really bad. Like, real bad. And it cut the power off. The signal to live radio went wow. off. Wow. Keith. And Keith. it was totally bad. <laughs> and uh, walked on and did I'm Over You. And um, it was it was pretty... It was After the power came on. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. And... Uh, what a night. Yeah, it was it was it was pretty cool actually. And then we came back on and did a Skinnerd song called Red, White and Blue. And that was about the time with all the police officer killings and the you know, uh, everybody was kinda 
<laughs> fighting the cops and it was it was awesome we had a there's a picture right right at the end of the song i told everybody that if they had their cell phones pull their light out and right at, we, there's a picture you can i mean the whole place is lit up with cell phone lights mm-hmm. i mean it was it was like little little fireflies all over the place it was, <laughs> It was a good night. That's neat. Yeah, so was... after the storm, there was the light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to do a Keith Whitley song before we, we close this thing out. Well, I know you loved him A long time ago Even now in my arms You still want him, I know But darling, this time Your memories die When you hold me tonight Don't close your eyes Don't close your eyes Let it be me Don't pretend it's him In some fantasy Darling, just once Let yesterday go And you'll find more love than you've ever known Just hold me tight When you love me tonight And don't close your eyes So good. So good. Thank so you, guys. Good. Thank you guys Thank you. so much. Thank you. We enjoyed it. Before we close up this first episode, we want to share one more story. Here's a classic that Lori told us, which was too good to leave on the cutting room floor. It's a bonus track, something we're going to call the B-side, Stories from the Road. Once again, here's Lori Morgan describing an embarrassing moment that happened to her on tour. So I'd been out on tour for a couple weeks I'd been gone, and we were working at the Geo Theater in, in Opryland when the, we used to have the great Opryland um, in, took in away. Nashville. Yeah, the amusement park. Yeah, mm-hmm. the amusement park. And it was just a great place to play. And I had just switched labels. I was from RCA to BNA. And so the whole front row, there was like 20-some people from BNA had come to my Geo Theater show. And I was running out of clothes, seriously running out of clothes. My bus was in the back. My best girlfriend, Ruthie, was with me. And we were on the bus, and I said, what do I wear? And I had this beautiful uh, silvery greenish kind of dark, I don't know, sage chiffon and satin short dress and the shoes that match and beautiful dress. And I couldn't find any underwear on my bus. So we're looking in the drawers in my bus and Ruth pulls out this pair of red thongs and she said, 
here's some. And I said, something's better than nothing. So I got, I stood up like this, and I'm in the light at the buses, the, the windows back here. I said, can you see through the dress at all? She said, no, it's perfect. It's perfect. So I go on, and I'm singing. It's at the beginning, middle of the show, and I'm, I just was messing with this guy in the audience, and I backed up, and it's when my guys were still on wedges. I backed up, and my legs hit the wedge right here. When I turned around, I fell over the wedge. My dress flipped up. My derriere is facing the audience with the red G-string. <laughs> and I couldn't get up because my shoes were slick. And my band was just going... <laughs> They're just staring. <laughs> they could not believe because, you know, I'm, I like pretty much have it together most of the time. So they're like, I mean, they were just, nobody came to help me. And finally, my sound guy ran out and helped me up. And I, and the crowd, you could hear him going, oh, you know, it was just, and I got up and I said, well, I was looking for something in red. Now y'all know I found it. And that's all I could think to say. And it was, it was, it was my entrance to my new record label. And it was just, uh, it's terrible. The best, the best. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. This has been a blast. You're welcome, it's always Robert. Good to see you. Always you. Always. We've known each other a long time. <laughs> a long Since time. Since before you were Lori and Morgan. Keith loved you. <laughs> yes, we were big buddies. He loved we you. We were big buddies. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.